0: listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Hi, I'm Gary Young. Our scripture reading for today is Romans 3 verses 9 to 20. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. What then? Are we any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin, as it is written There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness there is not even one their throats are opened graves they use their tongues to deceive the venom of vipers is under their lips their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery are in their paths and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This is the word of God for the
1: people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Gary. So we are veering a little off course today. If you are someone who watches these services regularly online, or maybe you, maybe you listen to our, our sermon podcast feed, our scripture reading for today probably sounds a bit familiar to you. It's the second half of the exact same passage we looked at last week. See, what I do is, I plan these sermons out in advance. I I like to have an outline that I'm working from running at least, at least a couple months out or so, so that I know exactly where these teachings are headed, uh, exactly where we're going, especially when we're working through such a long and dense book like Romans. And this week we were supposed to be turning a corner. For four or five weeks now, we've been wading our way through this incredibly intense, challenging section of the book of Romans, from about the middle of chapter one, all the way to basically right here, the middle of chapter three, where Paul is calling out all the sin and the unrighteousness that he sees in the world around him. He starts out by hammering the Gentiles for, for their idolatry, all the violent, debased, exploitative practices that have arisen in the Gentile nations. Then in chapter two, Paul hammers his own people, the Jews, for doing all the same stuff. You know, being just as bad as the Gentiles, turning to idols, falling into sin, failing to uphold justice, even though they were entrusted with the oracles of God. And our sermon for this week was supposed to focus on the next passage. Romans 3 verses 21 to 31, where we finally come out of all this darkness and Paul lands on a message of hope and the grace that's available to us all through faith in Jesus Christ. That was supposed to be our sermon for today. And as much as we could all probably use a message of hope and forgiveness right now, the timing just didn't feel right to me. I think we need to sit in the darkness for just one more week. Because our country is hurting right now. Our communities are in pain. Our cities are on fire. Communities of color are standing up and demanding justice, demanding equality, demanding that their humanity be recognized and honored just like everybody else. And they're doing this in the face of ongoing violence, systemic racism, and police brutality. We're seeing protests across the nation, people standing up saying that enough is enough. These killings of unarmed black civilians need to stop, they need to end. And of course, they've been saying that since Ferguson, right? This is nothing new. They've been saying that since since Dr. King in the civil rights era, we've been saying that for centuries. And while there have definitely been victories along the way, there've been incredible progress toward racial justice and equality. For some reason, the violence just isn't stopping. And now we're seeing that violence spill out onto the streets. We're seeing the frustrations of communities of color and their allies, coupled with the frustrations of months and months of quarantine with coronavirus, stoked by politicians who use fear and resentment to hold on to power. And then all of that is egged on toward violence by these fringe groups and violent individuals who want to use protests like this to start riots. When I look at the news, when I scroll through my social media feeds, and see the pictures, the the flash bombs used on peaceful protesters, kids maced with pepper spray, businesses on fire, people looting. I can't help but wonder if this is how Paul felt when he looked at his world and composed the poem that we find in our scripture reading for today. There is no one who is righteous, not even one, there is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are opened graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and misery are in their paths and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes i mean come on do we even need a sermon after that i, f- I feel like i could just i could just read that poem say amen and then move on to communion right i mean who who's with me <laughs> what Paul does here, though, is truly remarkable. I don't don't want to miss this. In this poem, he strings together a series of quotes from the Hebrew scriptures. Most of them are from the Psalms. There's a few sprinkled in from Isaiah and Ecclesiastes, but he strings all these quotes, all these references together with some original thoughts thrown in here or there, you know, a a tweak in the wording here. Um, He's sampling, basically. Think, Think like a Think like a DJ who's like mixing together all these different tracks to create something new. That's what Paul's doing in this poem. And the result is this gut-wrenching, incredibly poignant, and yet oddly beautiful lament about the state of our world. The state of God's good creation marred by sin. A lot of people get uncomfortable when we start talking about sin. Even a lot of Christians. You know, we would, we'd almost prefer that Paul would just stick with something positive. You know, why has he gotta be so judgmental? Why dwell on sin? And I think that attitude comes from seeing sin talked about so badly so often in other contexts. You know, sin talked about in a self-righteous way or a judgmental way. People who use sin as a cover to scapegoat or cast blame. We don't want any part of that. We don't want to be hypocrites or self-righteous. And so we shy away from talking about sin. We emphasize love and peace and unity. Assuming that somehow if we talk about sin, we negate all that other good stuff. But man, at, at a moment like we're living through, with all the brokenness, all the injustice, all the violence on display in our world. If you're not talking about sin right now, you don't understand what love is. I listened to an interview earlier this week with Keisha Lance Bottoms. She's the mayor of Atlanta. She's been all over the news this week. She had a really compelling video responding to the protests that went viral. I think it was last weekend. If you haven't seen that yet, Google it. But Mayor Lance Bottoms, She's relatively young. She was born in the early seventies. And I heard this interview from her this past week where she talked about a conversation she had with her mother because the mayor, she's too young to remember the civil rights movement, but her mom lived through it. And so she asked her mom, is this what it felt like? You know, during the civil rights era, when, when Dr. King was marching and our people were, were standing up and fighting for change. Is this what it was like? And her mother replied, no, it didn't feel like this. This feels like the time before that. All these killings, all these murders, these videos that come out every week or two of another black or brown person gunned down. This feels like Jim Crow and segregation when we had no voice. Now, if that testimony doesn't break your heart, I don't think you know what sin is. As Christians, we understand sin fundamentally as the breakdown of relationships. The Bible opens, Genesis chapter one, describing the creation of a relational universe. Then in Genesis two, we meet a character named Adam. His name is the Hebrew word for humanity. So God forms humanity out of the dust of the ground. God plants humanity in the garden to tend it. And humanity exists in a state of perfect relational harmony. Adam, or humanity, is in perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with the earth. Perfect relationship with with other human beings, exemplified by Adam's wife, Eve, whose name means life. And Adam and Eve, humanity and life, are both in perfect relationship with their own selves. The the text of Genesis tells us that they were naked, but they felt no shame. Then sin enters the picture. And all those perfect relationships that mark God's good creation just start to fall apart. Adam and Eve feel shame at their own nakedness, and so they rush to cover their bodies. There goes the relationship with the self. Then they hear God walking through the garden, and they hide from God out of fear. There goes the relationship with God. When God confronts them about their sin, Adam and Eve turn on each other and start hurling accusations back and forth. And then of course the story ends with Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden With enmity placed between human beings and the rest of creation. This is as good and as holistic a picture of sin as you are going to find anywhere. If you want to know what's wrong with our world, if you want a diagnosis of what ails us, read the opening pages of the Bible. Our relationships have broken down. Our connection with God has been severed and violence and injustice reign as a result. Or as Paul would go on to describe it many, many centuries later, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. No one who has understanding, no one who seeks God, all have turned aside. That is a picture of a world marred by sin. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do about this? What can we do? What's, what's the solution? How do we bring balance and peace to this terribly broken world of ours? There's a lot of people in power right now who think they have the answer to that. And the answer we see a lot of folks pointing to is law and order, you know. Institute law and order. Clamp down on the protests. Dominate them. Move in the military. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, right? Institute law and order, and everything else will be fine. As for the protesters, well, this attitude would tell them that they just need to trust the system, right? Follow the law. Make sure you've got the proper permits if you're going to protest because you need to protest by our rules. And if you've got some sort of grievance with the police or the criminal justice system, well, take it to the courts because you can trust the system. You can trust law and order. Salvation will be found through the law. And man, if only Paul was here to speak into that today. You know, if only Paul had written down his own thoughts at some point about, you know, where to look for salvation and what to think of salvation placed in the law. Oh, wait, he did. In the very next verse, in fact, Romans 3, beginning in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in God's sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. This is huge, you guys. And sure, granted, Paul's talking about the Jewish law here, the Torah. But come on, the Jewish law is not a religious thing or not exclusively religious. The law of the Israelites governed every aspect of life. What you eat, what you wear, economic transactions, who you associate with, where you can gather, what's legal and illegal, proper punishment for crimes, how to conduct yourself in a court of law. The law covers all of that. And what does Paul say about the law. Well, the law only speaks to those who are under the law. The law speaks to those for whom the laws work. Those who possess the law, those who created the law or were given the law. Of course, they're in favor of law and order. Of course, they trust the system. They built the system. But no human being will be justified in God's sight by deeds prescribed by the law. No one is going to be made right in God's sight, according to Paul. No sin is going to be overcome by simply following the law. The law can serve to highlight sin. It can point to sin. Uh, The law can even reflect sin in its own brokenness. But the law cannot conquer sin. Only righteousness can do that. Because as Paul tells us, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. Do you see what Paul is doing here? Do you see how this passage, which was written 2,000 years ago speaks directly into our present moment. Paul was a little revolutionary. You will not find salvation through law and order in the writings of Paul. No, Paul points to the righteousness of God. Law and order ain't gonna get us there. If you want to fix what's wrong with our world, if you want to overcome sin and heal the broken relationships reflected all around us, you need righteousness. Now, similar to sin, righteousness is another word that we're not all that comfortable with anymore because we tend to associate righteousness with self-righteousness or even worse with, with rightness, right? With like this, this self-centered, sinful urge to be right. But remember, and we talked about this in maybe our first or second sermon in this series, that is not what righteousness means to Paul. That's not what righteousness means in the Bible. In a strictly biblical sense, it is more accurate to think about righteousness as made rightness. God is righteous Because God is the one who can make things right. And to be righteous means to be made right with God. Now, the Greek word Paul uses here, it's the same word that's used anytime you see the word righteousness in the New Testament. It's the word dikaiosune. Let me hear you all try that one at home. Dikaiosune. Watch the pronunciation. I don't want you swearing. (laughs) But uh, dikaiosune often gets translated righteousness. But it's also the word for justice. Dikaiosune means righteousness, but it also means justice. Righteousness and justice are the exact same word in the Greek. Which is really interesting. See, in our our modern Western context, we like to just segment everything. You know, each component of our lives gets its own little box. And so somewhere along the line, we took the Christian concept of dikayasune and we segmented it, we split it into two different things, two different categories. Righteousness, which has to do with, you know, being in right relationship with God, and justice, which has to do with being in right relationship with other people. But the Bible is not aware of that distinction. Scripture does not allow for a separation between the state of our relationship with God and the state of our relationship with others. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. So when Paul laments the fallen state of our world, when he laments sin, how there are none who do right, none who fear God, his answer isn't law and order. It's justice, righteousness, dikaya sune. No amount of law and order is going to heal our wounds and fix what ails us. We need right relationship. We need justice. And if justice is the solution, well, that also tells us a little something about the problem, right? Paul calls sin unrighteousness, or we could say un right? The opposite of righteousness and justice. That's sin. Which means that just like righteousness and justice are the same word in the Greek, the biblical word for unrighteousness can just as easily be translated injustice. Sin is unrighteousness and injustice. That is what ails our world. So when we see violence, when we see broken relationships, when we see injustices in our world today, we've got To talk about sin. Because when justice is withheld, that's sin. When that police officer pressed his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight long minutes while he was handcuffed and lying on the ground, choking him until he died, that's sin. When rubber bullets and flash grenades are used against nonviolent protesters in the streets, that's sin. When neighborhoods are ransacked and businesses are set on fire by rioters, that is sin. When politicians and violent extremists use a protest as an opportunity to advance some twisted political agenda, that's sin. When Ahmad Arbery was chased down and shot by a couple of white racists in a pickup truck while he was out for a jog in his own neighborhood. That's sin. When police officers fired eight bullets into Brianna Taylor, killing her in her own house, in her own bed, during a no-knock raid at the wrong address, that's sin. When the reputation of good police officers is soiled by bad police officers and a broken policing system, that's sin. And when peaceful protesters gathered in front of a church are cleared out with tear gas, including volunteers and clergy from that church who are on site to provide water and prayers and medical services to the protesters, when they're forced out of the way, by flash grenades so that the president can get a photo op in front of their church holding the bible like it's a prop that is sin and if we don't call it out then there is no fear of god before our eyes let's pray god We join with our brother Paul in lamenting the broken state of our world. We join Paul in crying out against the sin, the injustice, the unrighteousness that has infected your good creation. And we join with Paul in a prayer for healing and right relationships and in asking that you would sow your righteousness in our midst, Lord. God, help us to do better. Help us to be better. Make us more Christ-like. Make us more compassionate, more just, more righteous. Give us the power to turn away from sin and pursue holiness. Don't let us settle for a false gospel of law and order. But take up residence in our hearts and transform us. Give us the courage to stand against sin, to combat the evils of racism and violence that so affect our world, and to pursue right relationships in our own lives. God, to close this prayer, we lift our voices together with Paul in his lament from the book of Romans. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness not even one, their throats are opened graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Amen. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First
1: Baptist.